may be seated. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, or in your bulletin insert, there is the text for today's message printed there. Luke chapter 19, the story is the historical account of Zacchaeus, one of my favorite stories. It's one of my favorite stories, not just because he was short in stature. Now, Pastor Tony made reference in his uh, reminding us of the rollover accident that we had in. If I was any taller, I might not be around. I think he said like five foot two in the first service, and I had to correct him between services and say, I'm five, six and a half. And uh, according to the insurance company, that's five foot seven, so that qualified me for a few extra pounds on anyways I am doing okay as far as stature and I like Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus he's not just a wee little man Zacchaeus is the epitome of the self-made man he's well off he's successful he's rich he's powerful he has sway and influence over others but that still wasn't enough for him something wasn't right for Zacchaeus he was still lacking something and he wasn't sure where to find it. It was like Tony described last week, the pieces of his puzzle weren't coming together. He was trying to force it, but his life wasn't as he had imagined it to be. Jesus uses a word to describe Zacchaeus that he probably didn't even recognize was as fitting as Jesus knew it was. Jesus calls this man lost. Lost is the word that he describes him as. And what he had heard about Jesus had intrigued him. He was interested and he was following. He wanted to get a closer look for himself. He wanted to see this Jesus with his own eyes and hear him with his own ears. So today we're going to take a closer look at Jesus. Jesus is here called the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. Follow along as I read Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus? Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today. Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Advent season, this time of year where we have anticipated your first coming. And as we have celebrated week after week, the prophets, the shepherds, the angels, all announcing and investigating the birth of this baby, 
Lord, as we come today to a passage where a grown man is coming to see a grown Jesus and to inquire, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be unstopped, and Lord, that we would see Jesus for who He truly is. Lord, take away the fog and confusion of our minds, and Lord, give us clarity of thought as we hear from Your Spirit speaking through Your Word. We pray that You would do this for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. A Savior is born. That's the title I chose for the sermon today. And we've seen this verse uh, week after week and maybe on a Christmas card that you've received. Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All of us are familiar with this term Savior, this word Savior. But if you try and think of this term through the ears and mind of somebody who's not familiar with Christianity, what would they think of? Savior? Savior from what, I think, is the first question that would come to my mind. What is the Savior coming to save us from? Here in the passage that we have before us today, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was His purpose. That was His mission. That's why He came. And who He came for were the lost. Have you ever been lost? Have you been lost lately and really felt the anxiety, the worry, the fear that comes upon you when you're lost? A few weeks ago, I went out on an early morning hunt, and it was as foggy, if not foggier, than it was this morning. And this was many hours before sunrise, so it was pitch black and foggy. So I wound my way through some of the country roads that I needed to, and I had been to this place many, many times before. I got to the gate that opened out into the pasture, and I knew what my strategy was going to be. In this wide open pasture, there were some obstacles, there were some things I needed to avoid, but I knew that there were these giant power lines, two huge poles with these giant power lines that led right to where I needed to park my truck. So I started out into the pasture with my headlights on, my high beams on, but headlights just were not designed to find power lines up in the sky. So, it was quite a trial to find my way around, and I was constantly looking up and not down until one moment, bam, my forerunner went down into a ditch, and the bumper was stuck in the dirt. I threw it in reverse and pulled out. I didn't want to have to be embarrassed and and call the landowners, uh, can you pull me out? Started driving again, realizing this is not going to work. I pulled up my GPS on my phone, and as you can imagine, in the country where there was no cell service to speak of, it was basically useless. Driving around, I pulled out like my megawattage flashlight that um, I kind of at times stuck out the window and then actually put it in park and looked around in the sky trying to find these power lines until finally there they were got my car oriented in the right direction, found my way. I thought I was never going to find where I needed to get to. I was lost and I knew it and I was doing everything I could to find my way out of it. But maybe you've been lost before and you didn't even know it. My sister, I remember 
back in, uh, I think it was around 1979, we had attended the Erie County Fair, and I was my mom, my dad, myself, and my sister. I think I was about eight years old, and Alyssa was about five years old. And something that, if you're from western New York, you might be proud of is that the Erie County Fair was, had surpassed the Los Angeles County Fair as the largest county fair in America. That's a claim to fame. You can look that fact up. Now, as you can imagine, at a county fair, the exhibits, the food, the games, the rides, everything was overwhelming, distracting, and through the press of the crowd, we're trying to make our way through. And at one moment, um, my dad thought that my mom had Alyssa, and my mom thought that my dad had Alyssa, and guess what? Nobody had Alyssa. She's lost. She was gone. And before the panic really started to set in, my parents were looking close by, looking around, trying to locate where she is at, and it's getting a little nerve-wracking until they heard over the loudspeaker, would the parents of Alyssa Curry come to the first aid tent? So we made our way over there, and I seem to remember my sister with an ice cream cone. I seem to remember it was a nice security guard that was there with her, smile on her face, happy, blissful, no idea that anything was wrong. There were no tears, no screaming, no crying, at least from Alyssa, maybe my mom a little bit. So you can be lost, desperately lost, dangerously lost, and not have a clue. Or you could be like me, lost, you knew it, get yourself in danger and trouble, and you're concerned. You know, there are people today in our world, I think, that are in one of those two categories, if not more. Some people are lost and they know it. Maybe they're even proud of it. Some people are lost and they're just trying to find their own way, figure life out on their own. Some people are lost and they have no idea how lost they are. But when I use this term lost, I want you to think of the way that the Bible describes it. There are many passages I could take you through, but I like how Charles Spurgeon has summarized what, what does it mean to be lost. As he expressed it, he says it's to be cast away from the presence of God, to be cast into hell, to have to suffer, and that forever all the justice of God can demand, all the omnipotence of God can inflict. That's lost. That's seriously lost. That's not just temporarily and physically out of place. That's eternally and spiritually gone and condemned. The stakes are high. That's serious business. So let's look at this passage to see what we can learn of this Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. Because Christmas season exposes the Savior that our culture really wants but we need to examine what the Scripture says about who this Savior is that God truly sent. Let's look first at the Savior our culture wants. And I just did a cursory Google search. I did a Bing search too because I guess those are the two most popular search engines. And I put these words in. You try it when you go home. Christmas in America. And I wanted to see what is Christmas in America, and I used the image searches because I think I could get the, the quickest uh, feedback of what, 
what people think about when they think of Christmas in America. Now, out of about the 350 images that came up on the first page, I didn't have the heart to hit next. Because out of those 350 that I scrolled down, there was only one that had a nativity scene. The title of that was actually Christmas Celebrations in Latin America, not even our America. Look it up. One had a manger, and it said, Jesus is the reason for the season. But that's the only one that said Jesus out of 350. One image had the name Christ in it, but it was crossed out, and it was a billboard image from the American atheists that read, Who Needs Christ During Christmas? Nobody. That's Christmas in America, according to the search of images on Google. Now, you can look at those images, and what will you see? Beautiful, pristine, lovely houses with lights, trees. Oh, and the food. You'll see plenty of food, sweets and delicacies, goodness. And some of me wants to say, I'm so glad that our culture gets maybe an overflow of the joy that is the real reason for the season, the real Savior that came, that they're, that they're somehow getting a taste of that. But I think it's such an imitation. It's not the real thing. It's not the Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. I think our culture loves the trees, the sweets, the Santas, the shopping, the trees, but lost people are not saved through that Savior. Many are looking for success and prosperity, and and Zacchaeus is no exception. Look at verse 2. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. I think success and prosperity were on his agenda for someone that he wanted as his Savior, somebody who could probably further his career ambitions as a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a regular tax collector. And it came out and say that, said that he is rich. He was wealthy and prosperous. And I think today there are people who think that if Jesus can make me prosperous, successful, and wealthy, oh, and I guess save me from my sins too, that would be awesome. That would be great. Sadly, I don't think this is just a view that is in our culture in general. I think it's infected our churches as well. The health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, that entices so many to believe in a Savior that would save you from poverty, and He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be successful. It's what our itching ears in our culture want to hear. It's the American dream, and Daddy Warbucks Jesus is there to provide it for us. I think that's the mistaken Savior, the false Savior that a man like Zacchaeus may have been after. But I think enlightenment and education is another Savior that our culture says is of great value. Look at the response of the people. When Zacchaeus was beckoned to come down by Jesus, what was the reaction of the crowd? Verse 7 says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, the Jesus that the crowds wanted couldn't be a friend of sinners. He couldn't associate with the wicked, the people who took advantage of others. And Zacchaeus wasn't the only sinner that Jesus spent time with. He spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with 
those who are the outcasts, the poor, the helpless. And I believe that like those crowds thought of Zacchaeus, they expected that Jesus should be a little more refined. And today I think there are people who would want a Jesus that's dignified, somebody that people would want to keep company with, not, not alongside these terrible, wicked people. You know, if we had a Jesus that was just more sophisticated, if He was more of an educated Jesus, He could keep company with those morally superior and intellectually superior people of our culture, the ones that we are seeking after, advanced people, evolved people that we can respect. We'd see a Jesus that fits in with the modern scientific community and, and is, is rational and enlightened, and our society then would believe on that Jesus. But is that the Savior that came to seek and to save the lost? There is a Savior of our culture today, I think, that is so focused on peace and security. And again, these themes that we celebrate that are biblical themes, that are Christmas and Advent time themes of peace on earth, goodwill to men, biblical descriptions of our Savior get misconstrued and get misapplied that this kind of Jesus would be the one who would be neutral and a go-between. He would be more palatable to a critical world. He would be the one whose sole purpose is just cause to get along with each other. Don't take any firm stands or make any strong declarations about who you are, Jesus. Just, just kind of water it down so we can all have world peace and get along together with other world religions. If we could just make all world religions as moderate and palatable as possible, then everyone would get along, and we would have peace on earth. We need that kind of Jesus. It's maybe a, a hippie Jesus who's pretty chill, pretty relaxed, just, just wants peace, man. Don't mess don't mess up with the peace. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. But is this really the Savior that God truly sent? We look at Scripture to find out who Jesus actually is. You don't have to do a Google search to find out who this Savior actually is. Let's open our Bibles and see what does He actually save us from. See, Zacchaeus' biggest need wasn't more riches wasn't more status. Zacchaeus' biggest need was his bankruptcy. He thought he was rich, but he was actually bankrupt. He thought he had power and influence, but he was actually blind and pitiable. He was rich in money, poor spiritually. He thought he was wise in his own eyes, but he was a fool. Because Scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. We see enmity with God. We see misery that comes as a part of ever since the fall of man into sin, we have been given over to our sinful nature. We're not only sinners by nature, but we're sinners by choice. We make decisions that have corrupted and ruined us in our world. We need saving from that. We, all the digging we try to do to get ourselves out, all the searching that we do to try and find the way on our own is insufficient, and it leads to nowhere. We need a Savior who can truly save us from our greatest need, our spiritual bankruptcy. But 
how can Jesus be the one to save us? Haven't there been a lot of enlightened people, a lot of wise people, a lot of philosophers who give us answers and truth? Well, Jesus came. And when he looks up in verse 5 at Zacchaeus, he says to him, Zacchaeus? Now, let's pause here. How did Jesus know his name? Did he have his chief tax collector name badge with his name Zacchaeus on it? He forgot to take off after? No, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name before the foundation of the world. Jesus had Zacchaeus' name written in the Lamb's Book of Life from all eternity. Jesus knows who he is seeking for because he has elected them from all eternity. Jesus is able to find those who are lost and they don't even know it. Jesus is, as Acts 4.12 says, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no, under, uh, no other name under heaven given among men by, what, by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God, to reconcile sinful men to Himself, sent His own Son to be 100% God, remaining deity, but taking that flesh upon Himself. And that's what that fancy and pretty word incarnation actually is describing. Incarnation is God being encased in flesh. He did that to be the suitable sacrifice for humans like us. But He remained deity so that He can be the sufficient sacrifice that could atone for the sins of all of His people. Jesus lived not just as a good teacher, not as just a miracle worker, but He lived with the purpose to lay down His life for His sheep. His sheep knew His name, just as Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. He knows all those that He willingly gives His life for, and He calls them to Himself. This is the one who is truly seeking Jesus, the seeking, seeking those who are lost. But how does He go about doing this? When He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house. He wasn't just talking about a luncheon some afternoon. He was talking about a change that would come over Zacchaeus and his entire way of living, looking at the world. His life would be changed from the inside out in so many respects. And you know, he did give half of his goods to the poor. And if he had offended anybody, he gave back four times what he had taken away and stolen. But that was not what made him right with God. That's not what bought his way into heaven. You see, his response to the call, his response to the call, Zacchaeus, come down, demonstrated that God had already done a work in him that God had already reached out and renewed him. As Titus 3 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lost people need saving. God sends Jesus as that Savior. 
He saves us not because, hey, you cleaned yourself up pretty good, Zacchaeus. I think I'll choose you. I think I'll make you my own. No, God does a work in the heart of that sinner, that lost sinner whose eyes are scaled over, and he takes those scales up off and he opens his eyes so that he can see Jesus as the Savior he truly is, the Savior who gave his life as a ransom, the Savior who died. And in his mercy, he washes us and he renews us and he regenerates us, gives us new life. So Zacchaeus's actions were a result of what God had done in his heart. It's not what bought his way into heaven. Jesus of Nazareth was passing through Jericho. And of anyone in the story you think would be lost would be the guy from Nazareth in a town he wasn't familiar with, Jericho. But one of the residents of Jericho, ironically enough, was the one who was lost. Zacchaeus lost, and he didn't even know it. He needed a Savior, but not the kind of Savior that the culture could provide, not the Savior that culture promotes. He needed the Savior that God truly sent, Jesus Christ. Maybe you came today thinking, I'm okay. I make it to church enough. I'm a pretty decent person. And that ought to be enough for God to be pleased with me. You know, those lost ones, they're they're the ones that are really messed up, super sinful, messed up and wicked. Uh, They're the ones that are down and out and homeless. They're not like me with my nice house in Overland Park. I'm not truly lost like those people. Those are the radical left, not a conservative like me. I'm sound in my thinking. But as much as it may surprise you or hurt you, I need to tell you that in order for Jesus to be your Savior, you've got to confess you're lost. Because Jesus didn't come to save people who were well. He's a physician who gave himself for people who are desperately ill spiritually. He didn't call the righteous to himself. He came to save those who are sinners. Call on Jesus. Trust in him. Depend on him. But what about those of you who love lost people, care for them, and want them to see the true Savior that God has sent. You know, as you talk to them about your Savior, remember that He came to save you and you were lost, but now you're found. That amazing grace that He showed to a wretch like you is the same grace He extends to other lost people. Look, lost people act like lost people. Lost people think like lost people. They react like lost people. And we shouldn't be offended and surprised. We should point them to the Savior, Jesus. We should call them to His embrace. You know, Adam Ford, who's the satirist behind the Babylon Bee, you may have seen that on um, the Internet. He also has a cartoon series in which he's drawn a bunch of cartoons recently about the kind of Jesus that people are interested in these days. And I plead you, don't send lost people to these saviors that are no saviors at all. He said, we shouldn't point people to the Zig Ziglar Jesus. 
Success is in your future. Believe it and achieve it. Or the John Lennon Jesus who says, all we need is love. The Mr. Rogers Jesus says, children, be nice. Be nice to each other and just get along. The cool dad Jesus says, well, I'm technically in charge. I'm cool with you doing whatever you want as long as you think I'm cool. The Rob Bell Jesus thinks that everyone gets to heaven in the end. And, you know, hell is just a toxic idea. We can't imagine a God who would talk about hell. There is the Jesus that is the Richard Simmons Jesus in many churches. Come on, you can do it. You're awesome. Keep it up. Work harder. Or the genie Jesus, that whatever you want, whatever you need, just say in the end, in Jesus' name, and kabam, you'll get it. That's not the Jesus that God has truly sent. Ford points out there's two things that are in common with all those different Jesuses. People believe in them, but none of them really exist. Let's point people to the Jesus of Scripture, the one that truly exists, the Savior that God sent is the very God of very God. He was truly human, born of a virgin, born under the law so He could redeem us who are under the law. He perfectly lived His life and laid down His life as a ransom for us, and He will come again to save us and to bring us to be with Himself. You know, life is still going to be tough. And sometimes we have struggle with how these puzzle pieces fit together. But with Jesus as our Savior, the biggest problem we have is taken care of. Your eternal destiny is secure. We have purpose for this life and hope for the next when we embrace the Savior that God truly sent. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so amazed by your plan to save a people for yourself. We're so blessed to hear that you came to seek and to save. Lord, we're too proud sometimes to see our sin, too blind to see our lostness. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see. I pray that we would see the lost men and women, boys and girls, find the Savior as they are found by Him. I pray, Lord, that we would be light to point others to the true light who is Jesus. That we would bring the message of Holy Scripture, of the Savior that God, you have truly sent. We know that this message is the central message of salvation in which Jesus is the true tiding of comfort and joy that our lost and dying world needs. Make us joyful as the angelic heralds. Make us bold as those lowly shepherds and make us zealous as those searching wise men to make this message known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.